Ian, hi. Welcome to Sim Sundays. How you doing? Good. How are you? Very, very good. Very good. We've uh, we've we've walked a long and winding road uh, for this podcast, um, and little behind the scenes secret is that we actually we've already recorded the first 20 minutes of this um twice yeah. already when you're in munich but dodgy internets dodgy airbnbs here we are again so we're gonna have to just like pretend that we've never spoken before and this is all totally fresh <laughs> yeah no i think well i think some of it is going to be in the vlog um that i recorded uh probably just a little bit of talking and then just ah oh, fuck the wi-fi the wi-fi went went out so uh Thank God it was yeah. a LAN event, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't wireless. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's that was that was interesting because the, the actual room in the like area was really cool. It was just so unfortunate that the the Wi-Fi went down. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of like the story of Europe. Yeah, to me, where it's like everything looks everything is and looks incredible um you guys it's believe it or not you guys have a lot more like newer stuff than we do um when it comes to just amenities or you know buildings like environments all that stuff but there's all like like what like what are are you talking like hand dries and toilets or are we talking like well yeah it's like it's like bathrooms like chairs are newer um (laughs) buildings are newer like it's just like that podcast room was was literally like an enclosed room with glass as as walls everywhere Mm -hmm. um like succession yeah but and then everything's great like nine things are great right and then it's just lacking the the tenth thing which is wi-fi hey we we just built a studio without wi-fi yeah you know small detail yeah where well small but like it's very important, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's like the little things like the bullet trains, the speed trains, the high mm-hmm. speed trains, like they go fast. They're very comfortable. They're very nice. But do the, does the AC work at nope. all? Not right. Re- <laughs> nope. Nope. So it's like you get there quickly, but you got another thing to worry about. So that's sort of what I realized about Europe. I've been works. in Paris and the UK a lot, but not necessarily anywhere else. So, mm. yeah, well, it was kind of the perfect storm. We were just we were in the the weirdest little Airbnb outside Paul Ricard. The sim racing team were racing there. You were in uh, Munich, I believe, uh, yeah. for the for the summit. Um, but we'll get in, we'll get into all that. Um, and I think it would be worth kind of going through why you've just done your European trip. What have you been doing? Where have you been? So our audience, you yep. listeners, sim racers, Crimzix might is a new name on the scene for us. Um, but a lot of people who listen, if they're into any other kind of gaming, they will have heard your name. So why don't you tell us what you're doing in Europe and then we'll work backwards from there. Gotcha. So I'm on FaZe Clan and basically we are sponsored by Porsche. So I sort of had the opportunity to, I knew I was going to go into Stuttgart to their headquarters, uh, sort of in the middle of June. And it was sort of like a two birds with one stone thing. Cause it was like, you know, do you want to go to Munich? 
um, to cast the major and the ESL R1 major, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and sort of like this was like the finalist, the final mode, the 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 season ending tournament. Um, so it was the big one, and ideally, when I was ignorant, I was sort of like, uh, yeah, I, I, like that's my goal is to make it to that major. And then you know, a month or two in, I was like. Probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. This is a lot more complicated and difficult than I once thought. Um, but one of my main things in gaming um, was or is, is that if you lose a tournament or, you know, I come from FPS, Call of Duty. Um, my number one rule is, is if you lose a tournament, you watch out the rest of the tournament. So mm-hmm you know like i like that yeah so you sort of let it let it sting let it burn um just to make sure like in in the back of your head you're always telling yourself like don't ever let this happen again like mm-hmm. that should be you up there not not these guys so so, so that's what would you say then go. for your casual warzone player they're playing you know they start with 150 people they go in they forget to open the shoot and they die you're saying you should now sit and watch the whole mm. war zone right to the end see who wins because that would stink. no <laughs> no not not in that regard um because you like war zone i mean i did a, a bunch of war zone stuff too um it's different because you could you in war zone you can lose or you know get knocked out you could die to someone who's worse than you mm-hmm. so like in that regard that's i wouldn't do it for that but if there's someone better than me there's always a case to learn and if like at like at a tournament's different because when you actually lose you actually lose to someone who is flat out better than you um so that's sort of my rule of thumb is that if if you lose to someone who's better than you or or even if you think that they got lucky you, you should still watch and try to dissect like what they're doing what they did to beat you so mm-hmm. and you but, applied that same concept to r1 right yeah yeah but the biggest thing is sort of the emotional mental aspect of it because you want to basically make yourself feel like crap for losing and like any time where i'll go watch a tournament because like i followed that rule like 80 percent of the time um there's somewhere it's like you know you're in the losers final and you just lost like you don't really want to like go watch the match the next match um because you're still sort of heated and sort of compromised um but yeah it's it's mainly to just let yourself know mentally like to never let it happen again so never never uh underperform and and what that's going to do is it's going to make you practice harder smarter um you know more efficiently than than you did before because there's always there's there's always levels to this stuff so yeah i can see that and it's interesting that that's applied pretty much one-to-one across from call of duty to 
to sim racing and Rensport, right? Yeah. I mean, you you can literally use that for anything. Yeah. So let's um let's go back then for our for our sim racing uh, listeners. Obviously, uh, you're let's say famous for your Call of Duty exploits. Um, yeah. One of the most decorated esports players um, of all time, and the sim racing world is now super interested um, in you because you've moved across from one esport to a totally different esport with a whole different set of inputs, et cetera, yeah. that we'll get to. And I'd love to go into that transition and then let's talk about Rensport. But first, just to give our listeners like a sense of the scale of what yeah. you were doing before, give us just a synopsis of your COD career. I know you started in Halo and then went across to COD. So give us a quick, quick yeah. synopsis of that career and also give us a sense of the events, the size of these events that you were competing in, because it doesn't exist in sim racing. Um, yeah, so I guess well, I started playing Call of Duty. Um, it, it, it's really that's a that's a long answered question. <laughs> I'm gonna try. To, I'm trying to summarize because I played Call of Duty in in FPS games in general for like 20 years. Um, I started when I was like nine, eight years old. Um, the first tournament that I ever competed in, I went pro in. And not only pro, pro was like top 16, top eight. I believe it was top eight at the time. And that's team wise. So um, I think we, yeah, we got third. So it wasn't, it was like beyond pro. It was like, you know, you can actually win. Um, but that was, I turned pro at like 11. I retired when I was 29. So like 18 years. Um, went uh, somewhere in the middle of that. Went to Halo, went pro in that. Uh, and then went back to Cold. Well, I played Battlefield for a little bit. <laughs> Um, for an imaginary $1.6 million tournament, uh, wow. sh- shout out Virgin gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I say imaginary because they announced it and never happened. Um, yeah, that sounds like a whole story right there. Oh yeah. Oh dude. It's stories <laughs> on stories. Um, but I, I don't, I don't regret that part at all, honestly, because it was probably some of the most fun I've had in competitive esports. Mm. Um, and it was, it was, it was very different. Um, but anyways, call of duty. So I came back to call of duty when I was around 20, uh, or 21, I think it was like 20. So in nine years, I won 38 tournaments, uh, three world championships, two X games medals. Um, I think at one point, I think I ended my career with like a, it was around 50, 50, um, for percentage of like tournaments I went to versus tournaments I won. So it was like, I think I ended with like around a hundred tournaments that I went to and I won yeah, Well, I don't, I don't know if it was, I, I think I went to like 90 tournaments or something like that. Um, maybe 85, but either way, it was, it was close to 50, 50. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was sort of, my whole goal was 
to be sort of like the best teammate um, there's ever been in Call of Duty because everyone's trying to get the highest KD, the, you know, the most MVPs and all this stuff. And I sort of went around or went about it, especially coming from Halo, because Halo is so focused on teamwork and the team aspect of things that I sort of had an advantage coming back to Call of Duty because no one was focused on the team aspect. No one was focused on, hey, how can I make my teammates around me better? Um, so that was, you know, key to my successes right there. It was, I was sort of like an enabler of of teammates and pushing teammates to be the best version of themselves while also doing it for me. So, and to describe one of these events, and again, the reason I'm I'm, I'm asking these questions is because sim racers yeah. who only follow sim racing, sim racing, will have yep. no idea. And obviously, prior to this interview, I watched a lot of YouTube yeah. videos about some of the tournaments you were at, and they're enormous. Yeah, I mean, well, the biggest, I think the biggest venue we played in front of, like like people wise, crowd wise, was one of the ESWCs. Um, was playing Gotaga in the finals, uh, and we absolutely massacred them. Side note, <laughs> um, but there was like four thousand people, I think. Uh, I I believe. I don't I don't know if it's for certain, but I'm assuming that this is only the only event they could have watched at, but uh. A couple drivers, like professional drivers, told me like they watched me play at that at that tournament. So, I mean, um, the viewing figures for these tournaments are, are a whole different world from sim racing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's that's sort of why I think sim racing, because right now it's it's basically in the in it's sort of stuck from being a hobby to a profession. Mm. Uh, right now, it's like to me. The biggest ruling factor is the prize money. Um, I give the example of like, you know, people want to talk about the games it's or this and that or the equipment's too expensive. You know, all these other things that are true, right? But the root cause of it is that like the sim racing community, like the, the competitive side, they're playing for borderline nothing. Um, like... You know, at the at the ESL Munich major, um, I asked like, how many of these people up here, the twelve best in the world, could live on their own, or are living on their own right now, without you know, not living with their parents, not working another job, this and that, and it was like, I think it was uh, like I asked Enzo about it on mm. red line and he was like i don't know maybe six to eight people yeah out of out of every that's not just the people here that's out of everyone yeah so yeah um that's so that's the issue right there is that these prize pools need to go drastically up because once the prize pools go up right there's more competition there's more like hey there's more to play for like for those of you guys who don't know like orgs will take a cut of the prize pool as well um and i use the example i i think it was ludwig or someone did a tic-tac-toe three hundred thousand dollar 
competition on live stream and it went <laughs> it was nuts like it was absolutely nuts like you can if you throw a competition and have prize money you can dude you can l quite literally do it for anything and the more the money the more money is involved the more intense it's going to be the better like entertainment viewing value um it's all just going to be everything's going to be elevated and then you bring the competition up you also bring up the competition of like hey there's two orgs that want one driver let's see who pays them more mm. so and then ultimately you, you get higher salary you can basically you know afford to live by yourself and not, not only just live but like comfortably live uh so that's one thing that like is sort of the the difficult part because i i i think that's what happened in call of duty because when they announced cod champs which is a million dollar tournament um every single year and i mean now it's worth now it's way more it's like five million or something or i think uh 2.5 uh but the whole year the whole price won the year is five million dollars where in sim racing dude before eslr1 like what's what's the uh, a question for you is what's the biggest like over a year of course of eight to 12 months what's the biggest prize pool there is the the largest that i think i've ever seen is seventy five thousand euros which you know now like, across several yeah. events right uh, yeah well i'm talking like not just individual like like everyone yeah, well, I mean that that's that's it, right? Because out of you, you might get twenty entrants for that, and yeah. only one might might win it. It's it's the prize pools are are absolutely tiny in comparison. Like you don't yeah. have to Google Crimsix very long before you see a news story about you being the first to win a uh, million dollars in in prize money, and then you know people have kind of yeah have, have, have got it since. But it's uh, yeah, it's a totally different world. I suppose the only saving grace, silver line that you might be able to identify with sim racing is because it's so close to the real world of motorsport yeah you have some very large brands that are able to back it as a marketing exercise so take the f1 esports series yep. for example all the f1 teams will have uh their own drivers which they pay they pay them full-time salaries um and that's because they can use it as a marketing activation for the rest of the team whereas yep. obviously in call of duty you know the world's like militaries <laughs> aren't really yeah. like backing a team for for marketing purposes it'd be kind of cool if they did or yeah no i mean the to me that's sort of the only i think if you're doing sim racing right now um to not go into real life racing i mean i don't get me wrong i understand it right because sim racing to me the biggest sort of the biggest issue is it's so much more fun to play than it is to watch. So mm -hmm. that's why it's like, I don't know how to effectively change that. Um, but that's the issue why, you know, the, you don't see a lot more viewers and you don't see a lot more fans is that it is li quite literally 10 to 15 times, maybe a hundred times more fun to play than it is to watch. So uh that to me is one issue but the other issue is just like it's it's so expensive to get into um you know console wise like i got in a call of duty with like 300 bucks mm -hmm. 
you know, yeah. just buy an Xbox and I'm in and and play on my TV. But uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the end goal is I'm sort of using the sim racing stuff to build my skills up to the point where it's like, hey, if there is a racing opportunity in real life, like, let's do it. Um, Cause I don't want to, well, I, I always give this example. I, I don't know if you've seen the Michael Fassman or stuff, uh, the Porsche documentary series on YouTube. Um, but they, I mean, you know, Michael Fassman is an actor. Um, you know, he's still doing that at the same time, I believe, uh, even though I haven't seen him in a movie recently. Um, but yeah, they, they threw him into like, the hardest possible, the highest possible, like endurance racing. Well, not the highest, but, um, you know, GTE. So not, not, not the hypercar stuff, but they basically just threw him into that straight to the top. And, you know, I think they're three years in and he's, he's still struggling with it. And for me, it's like, like, damn, I'm not Michael Fassbender, you know, like, <laughs> like I actually have to, even though I have a, a, a story of like, you know, I once did this and I'm coming into something new, see, see what happens. Right. Like, I still don't want to shoot myself in the foot with that. Like, I want to build up the skills. I want to build up the talent. I want to like actually be able to like belong there and and do this and not just do this but like be good at doing this um before any sort of you know content filming or before before all the other stuff to me comes in so like the you know content sponsors activations all this stuff like i want to actually prove my worth before any of that happens you know and it's not just it's not just for like the people watching or the people trying to see the story. It's like mainly, mainly it's for me, you know, cause if, if I feel like I don't belong in a place, if I didn't, you know, earn my right to be here, like that's always going to be in the back of my head. Mm. So, I mean that, so that to me, like sim racing in a nutshell is practice and it's sort of like a, the the test before the test uh to me so but that's my end goal is to jump into the real thing well that's i mean that's very interesting because i think a lot of people have used sim racing um for that exact reason and a lot yeah. of people have started in sim racing and then without them really planning it it's led to opportunities in real world racing for example you know james baldwin who you you'll have raced with yep. Um, he's now looking to do some real world racing. He did, I think at the 24 hours of spa last year, and he makes no secret of the fact that he wants to go out there and do real world racing. And that's kind of a, yep. a strength of, of sim racing. But I mean, I've said it on this podcast, probably about a hundred times that sim racing has a, a blessing and a curse, the blessing and a curse yeah. is the fact that it's so yep. close to motorsport. So it's a blessing if you want to go and immerse yourself in it, i.e. by participating it's yep. a curse for watching because you could just go and watch real motorsport, which is like, you know, almost exactly the same, but real. And so the differentiator yeah. for sim racing is a negative rather than a, than mm -hmm. a, um, a positive. Um, so that's really interesting. So I was gonna, you know, I was gonna ask you why, 
why you chose um, sim racing as your next esports venture. But it sounds like it's it's to get into the world of racing. So that leads me to another question, which is yep. how long have you been a motorsport fan for? When did your when did your kind of love of motorsport and racing start? Um well I sort of I I actually started around like when the the Porsche 919 was out basically and I think that was like what 2014 2015 2016 mm. somewhere around there um but so I was one of the few like I knew about the other sort of styles of racing um I think I was one of the only Americans that actually knew about a form of racing outside IndyCar and NASCAR. Um, and I was sort of, I was sort of watching the, the motorsport stuff before I even found out about F1. Like I was watching endurance stuff before F1 um, because, you know, I sort of, while most American kids will be growing up, watching espn or football or basketball or all this stuff like i was watching like top gear episodes um interesting yeah so like i would record those and and watch those um and it was it was great because it was like you know 20 seasons to catch mm -hmm. up on or what, whatever <laughs> yeah um so it, t it took a while um but so i sort of knew about all this stuff from the get-go um, and this was before I even won my first, like, Call of Duty tournament. So I've been sort of following it for a while. Uh, and what ended up happening was I used a lot of the Call of Duty winnings and salary and all this stuff uh, for cars. So, I mean, like, I remember the first time I, so I joined Optic. We moved into their house. They nade shot had an m3 big timer had like a c63 amg nice. and i would pretty much go get them like this is before uber eats and all <laughs> and postmates so i'd nice. literally go offer to go get them like chicken nuggets if i could drive their car to go get them um but sort of knew about all this stuff and then like we did a little track experience thing the first time i was ever on track was in a ferrari 458 gt3 um or i don't know it was uh, what the f430 gt3 um so the first time i was ever on track was in a straight up gt3 car That's and nuts. and i knew i was somewhat good because they're like yeah you just did that like the the guy was amazed he's like you just did a 1.7 seconds off pros and he's like amazed he's like what's your experience like you know because it was it was one of those like you pay for 11 laps this and that and they're like what's your experience i'm like four is a three yeah. <laughs> i literally said four is a three and the guy's like what he's like what do you what do you drive at home i'm like a volkswagen jetta manual you know it was like a hand-me-down car for my parents so I literally had no experience outside of video games um, to be able to do that. And you presumably know, I, that was a controller that you played Forza on. Yeah, yeah. And I used a fucking controller. 
So, <laughs> but you knew those that, lines. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, not, I didn't even know the lines either. I was just listening to the direction. It was one of the, those tracks in Vegas. Um, but that was sort of the moment when I knew like, Hey, this, like if stuff doesn't work out in call of duty, like video games translate to, to real life. It was just like the understanding of the car, um, you know, listening to his directions, the, you know, inputs and all this stuff. Um, I knew it was transferable in, in that very moment because I had no business being that close to them mm. uh, time-wise, you know. So it was uh, an interesting moment. But I knew right then and there that, that that was like a potential thing to do if things didn't work out on Call of Duty. I don't know how I would do it at the time, but th- but that was the main thing. It's like, you know, that that's such such a huge switch. But I don't think I should do it now. Yeah, but and, and at that time, sim racing was nowhere near what it is now. So there wasn't yeah. this kind of obvious yeah, switch that, to make. Yeah, right? that was that was like twenty sixteen. Mm. So yeah. So usually when we have guests on, um, I ask them to go through their rig. So, because I love yeah. it, I'm a, I'm a massive nerd. So I love to yeah. hear about the hardware, like the the wheels, the pedals. Are you using triple screens, ultra, whatever? But you've just said that you used all your, well, some of your winnings to buy cars. So let's go through that as well. Okay. What as as a as a self confessed petrol head, who mm-hmm. also I love the fact that you um, got into motorsport through Top Gear. I've not heard that one before, but I can so easily see well, how that just... could happen. That sort of made me realize that there's a different world outside mm. the U.S. Um, because it was just, you know, people people would be like Fast and Furious. Like, that's how they think they you drive cars. And people would be <laughs> talking about, you know, oh, stop. God, like, like doing a straight line little like or, or like a freeway pull or something mm, like that. I'm the like quarter mile. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. And then that made me realize, like, yo, you guys are all posers. Like, <laughs> like every single one of you are posers. Like, driving in a straight line is not difficult. You know, doing basically all the American things, changing for, gear like for, eight for, times. Yeah, yeah, for good <laughs> driving is is not difficult at all. I can tell you this much, coming from Germany to back to texas that it, the the roads here you can borderline do it with your eyes closed mm-hmm. um it's just so straight where there it's like you know there might not be a guardrail next to this cliff you got you got uh you know u-turns or, or not u-turns you got roundabouts we don't even have those in the u.s um it's just basically a lot of a lot of turning Mm-hmm. and it's i i absolutely miss it i love it um but yeah we'll go through the rig let me see if i can change the camera yeah and, to, the, I, and the cars as well It'd be cool to go through the through the cars um well I, I would have to switch to my phone it's in the garage are you no, saying no, the actual car yeah 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 as yeah. so a, a good yeah, friend of mine just join who, my phone. um is a is a huge fan of yours he actually told me recently that he had uh he's got one of your t-shirts on his uh on in his, oh, really? in his gaming room yeah um that's crazy 
not that many people bought the blue Porsche story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, I I think I know who you're talking about. Um, But basically in like this position, see my shoulders. Mm. So this is basically how you would game. Right. And pretty much all my like shoulder joints and all this stuff like it's and it's basically ideal for set like sitting in a chair but the problem is is like my legs and my knee joints all this stuff like i have to put in if say something the best in the world is putting in four hours a day i have to put in eight so it's very i've been basically working on my physical fitness to try to be up to like par with being able to do it that much this is for sim racing right yeah yeah it's it's for sim racing but it's also in the event where they're like hey you're good enough do you want to hop in a gt4 car and actually compete Mm. um i don't want to be in this situation where it's like yeah i'm down but can you give me nine months (laughs) right because because i'm not physically fit right now yeah, you know that would be like one of my biggest fears. Mm. The so. the other thing about sim racing that's interesting is because in sim racing you can do so much more practice. I've spoken to a lot of pro esports um, sim yeah. racers, guys like you know the Team Redline guys who race with Max Verstappen, who have said that because they've done hours and hours and hours of practice in their in their rigs, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking kind of like seven or eight hours a day, which is yeah. probably on average eight times as much as an actual uh, mm-hmm. racing driver. Um, a lot of them are starting to get problems with their their knees and, and shoulders because they're just kind of going over that same motion over and over again all day, that's, every day. Well, that's the best thing about Call of Duty. That's that's the best thing about Call of Duty. So the I the best thing, and, and it's sort of only about Fortnite too, is like it's not the money you make or the like how you can now live and all this stuff. The best thing about Call of Duty, at least, is the fact that everyone plays Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. So the I basically reached out to a guy that I knew that's on like SEAL Team 6, or it was, and I was like, hey, I need to strengthen my knee joints, like my legs. I need to get way thinner. I need to get to this size of a waist. And they basically, you know, he gave me a workout to do. That, so that's very so cool. I've been I've been following that. So. It sounds tough though. It doesn't sound like a a fun one. It's not, it doesn't sound like a stick a podcast on and have forty five minutes in the gym kind of set, well. Kind it, of for for a month or so, it was like you do the workouts and you'd be exhausted. Yeah. Um. But now it's at the point where your body sort of adjusts. And now you're able to actually be functioning the rest of the day. Well, that that sounds nice. Nicer. Um, Okay, so do we want to go through the cars, the rig? um, And then it would be cool to start chatting a little bit about the the transition that you've made across from COD to, to sim racing.